0: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington. And in this episode, I'm honored to speak with Chelsea Clark. She's the founder at HerPaperRoute.com as well as the Boutique Marketplace Blogs for Sale, which I'm pretty sure they sell blogs over there. And we're gonna hear about Chelsea's story and a particular website flip in a kind of a market that I have no experience in. So I'm very excited. Chelsea, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, thank you so much, Doug, for having me on. I'm having a great day. Thank you.
0: So for the people that don't know you, can you give us a little intro about who you are and what you do?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I started as a content creator while I was in school for marketing and I always had a blog on the side. I was uh, after university. I worked by day in marketing at a business brokerage and by night as a waitress and bartender extraordinaire and always just had a blog as a hobby. And then it wasn't until many years after school that I decided to really focus on my blog and go all in on just creating niche sites. And I started developing, buying, developing, selling sites for myself. And then pretty soon people started asking me, hey, can I have some help with this? And, you know, so I started helping people to sell their websites. And I went through the International Business Brokers Association, and I learned how to do it properly. And then I launched a marketplace. And that's really the very brief, you know, story of how it started. But really, there were so many windy, twisty roads along the way. And I really did start And have false starts and failures along the way with different businesses that I started up before I really uh, found what worked and found what I really wanted to stick with.
0: So those early blogs, were they monetized or they were sort of the actual traditional blog where you were just writing about your life?
1: Oh, that's such a great question because yes, when I was just starting with a blog, it was back in the day on Tumblr and monetization wasn't even a glimmer in my eye at the time. I didn't even know that you could make an income from blogging back then. And really, I was just sharing stories and photos of my travels. And then it was actually quite a while Later, it was in 2017 when I put focus onto actually monetizing the content and starting blogs and websites with the intention of it being a business. And that's when everything really changed. I started a cruelty free beauty blog at that time, and I monetized it with affiliate products and uh, digital products as well. And I was able to generate traffic to it rather quickly. And it actually grew. it started making about a thousand dollars a month uh, within the first two or three months. And on its first year birthday, it was making up to $5,000 a month. And I thought this is a good time to sell it because although it was interesting blogging about beauty products, that wasn't really my passion. I'm more interested in sharing more knowledge-based content, you know, teaching marketing, teaching business development, the things that I really enjoy doing. Blogging about beauty just didn't have that same interest to me. So I sold it and then I used that money to then uh, develop other sites and really just focus my time hundred percent, quit my job and go all in on niche sites from there.
0: So you said 2017 is when you started that and say it again, was it a cruelty-free beauty blog?
1: Yes, exactly. So it was a beauty blog that talked about products from brands that were uh, ethical brands, so brands that don't test on animals. And that was something that, from a moral perspective, I've always believed in. And from a niche site perspective, it was really interesting because there, well, there's more now. But at the time, there wasn't too many sites in that niche. And I was really able to rank those blog posts and reviews I was writing really quickly. So that was a nice little thing, too. It wasn't too oversaturated, that niche, when I was working on it.
0: Right. I can imagine, too, there might be a lot of people who... Don't know anything about those products. It's, like you mentioned, you had an interest in it. Yeah. And for example, if I had the same blog, I wouldn't even know what keywords to use. I, I don't even use shampoo or conditioner, <laughs> right? For the people that can't see, I'm bald. I have no hair. I don't need those products.
1: But yes, I'm the opposite. Yes, I've got too much.
0: <laughs> it's, yeah, it's quite a contrast from my screen to, to yours. So, so back on track, it's very mm-hmm. easy for me just to get distracted here. So I'm going to bring it back <laughs> around. So you actually had some interest and knowledge about the topic area. So surely that helped. It sounds like maybe it was an immature um, area of content. So you were able mm-hmm. to get a leg up, but just in general, right, making a thousand bucks per month within two to three months, as you mentioned, in 2017 Mm -hmm. is pretty awesome. Were there any other things that you did that you think helped out to beat your competition and that sort of thing, aside from just like it being uh, sort of uncharted territory?
1: Yeah. So SEO was a very big focus for me, as it always is. So anything that I was writing, I did research first. I made sure that what I was writing about was actually of interest. I was going into different Facebook groups for uh, vegan beauty enthusiasts and people who were trying to swap out their regular drugstore products for uh, products that Don't uh, test on animals and use clean ingredients. So I went into all these Facebook groups and I just started looking at what people were asking looking at the conversations people were having and I was really just taking note of what was out there and what people were really curious about. So I use that as part of my keyword research strategy just to really be aware of what consumers want to know and people who are trying to have more clean beauty in their homes and in their bathrooms. So that's what I was really doing. That helped. And another thing that really helped, I think, is I did a lot of manual promotion. So when I started that blog, I was on a serious budget. I, I say I just quit my job. I'd also just had a baby. So I was at home. I didn't have another income stream. I had to make this one work. So I wasn't able to have an advertising budget for this one. I really had to do everything manually. So that was something every day, a little bit late at night, when I was up with the baby, I would be on my phone. Just going and promoting, so like posting links in Facebook groups, pinning things to Pinterest that I had created, going into forums like Quora and answering questions, just doing a lot of off-page promotion. And I think that that really helped because it was just starting to drive traffic back to the blog I was working on. It was putting backlinks out there. And I look back at that now and I think, man, because I just don't have that amount of time now to do that sort of manual promotion. I think I get a little bit lazy. I'll just be like, okay, I'll just run some ads for this site, or I'll just like hire some people to VAs to go out and do some promotion. But when I think back to when I personally was doing it and putting that time in, it really was so rewarding. And I think that that really did help.
0: For the content, did you write it yourself or hire out um, some of the work?
1: Yes, I wrote every post myself. I think it's great to hire out if you have a team where you have trusted writers, by all means, that is fantastic. I now have a team and I have some writers on my team, so I don't have to write everything myself now that I'm managing usually about five different sites at a time. It can get a little hectic. But yes, when I was developing this first one, it was just me. Every morning I'd get up, I would just start writing. And it was really a great creative outlet. I felt so inspired just being able to get into that routine of every day, you just sit down and you write before you even open your inbox, before you look at your emails, before you answer any questions or anything else. You're just writing, starting your day with creating content. And it was such a great flow. It was such a great experience to be able to do it all on my own.
0: And I, I suspect, but I'll I'll ask and let you answer, the manual outreach and You know, feet on the ground, all that work that you were doing to promote the site. You mentioned it was probably super helpful. You don't have time now. I imagine it's the same for the writing. Your very manual and and thoughtful way that you went through it probably created much higher quality than even if you have a team of writers. if, If you're overseeing it, potentially that's higher quality and led to the success. So what do you think?
1: Absolutely. And I still stand by that now. So even if I have someone helping put out some articles, they don't publish it. They just create a draft and then I go in and I add facts. I add my own touch to it. I just make sure that I've overseen everything before it actually gets published just to have I guess I'm a control freak but just to have that control really and just to know that everything that you're putting out if you're putting your name to it it has to really be authentic and something that is of value because there is no point to just put content out just for the sake of having fresh content all the time of course Google likes a site to be updated all the time but if your content isn't quality it's not really going to help you in the long run so I think that that's really important yeah
0: so we will eventually get to the uh, the one case study that we were gonna talk about anyway, but this is a great thread that I'm, I'm glad we're going down. Now you said that the site started earning more, like up to 5K per month. Mm-hmm. And then you thought, hey, I'm gonna unload this thing. So a couple things stick out. So how long was it before you hit that 5K? And then I know that some people get so attached to the work that they're on, they say, Hey, I'm never going to sell this thing. I said that for a while until I sold a site and I'm much more, uh, open to it right now, but I have some friends that have had sites for so many years and they would just be better off if they sold it. So what, what gave you the ability to just like, let it, let your baby go there.
1: I love that question. And you're so right. It can be really difficult, but I don't know. I think I just, in the moment, I knew it wasn't something I wanted to be doing for the long term. One of the uh, content aspects of that blog was I was reviewing subscription boxes. So every month there would be brands sending subscription boxes to my house, which sounds really cool because you get free stuff, but it is so much work because you really do have to test everything. You take photos of every product. It's not just a simple little bit of research and write a blog post. There's so much personal time you have to put into that type of content and with a quickly growing little one little baby and my interest being pulled into more of the marketing space which is what I had gone to school for and what I really wanted to focus on for my other blog was I knew that keeping up this reviewing subscription boxes reviewing beauty products content my heart wasn't totally in it so it just felt right to know that I could sell it someone else could take it and run with it and I could just take that cash and run so that was a really good feeling I was able to focus on the lifestyle freedom I was going to have after the sale as well as just that lump sum of money that I could really just put towards uh, the next project that I really wanted to to make a focus
0: can you share how much you sold it for? And if not, that's fine. You can give us a ballpark or just say, I'm not going to give you any information at all.
1: I'm happy to. No, I'm happy to talk about any numbers. So I sold that one for $50,000 and I had an auction for it. I actually sold it on Flippa and um, it was pretty cool. It was really exciting because the day that the auction was ending, Anyone who's sold on Flippa, of course, you know that when someone puts a bid in the last couple minutes, it extends the listing for another hour. This went on for about eight hours after the time it was supposed to end because people kept coming in. And it was for a first time flip for me, it was so exciting. And it's definitely something that, you know, mm-hmm. a, a lit a light bulb in me and I became addicted to it. And I've been developing and selling sites ever since uh, because of that first one.
0: Wow. Very cool. Well, looking back, is there anything that you would have done differently before you sold it or during the selling process or negotiation or anything like that?
1: I would. Yes, there's definitely some things I would have done differently. So one of the things now, whenever I'm creating sites with the intention to sell, I always remove my personal brand from it. I don't put my photos on. I just remove my persona from the content. Whereas that beauty blog, there was pictures of me, uh, you can you can see my arm with all my tattoos holding, you know, a beauty product and things. So my persona was still part of the business when the new owner took it over. So that would be considered to me personally a mistake. I never do that anymore just because I want to sell a site that someone else can then completely put their name on. And it has nothing to do with me because my personal brand is now under the Her Paper Root brand. And the blogs for sale brand, and I don't need pictures of me on sites that I don't own. So that's a big one. And I always tell our sellers to just remove your photo before selling it, even if it's just taking it out of the sidebar, taking it off the about page, It's just going to be a lot easier for the new owner to run with. And then you just have that peace of mind knowing that your photo isn't being used by someone else out there on the internet
0: <laughs> did you have any anything stipulated in in the selling documents to remove your persona and or anything like that i know some of the images are product related so those would stay i imagine but yeah did you have anything to pull all that stuff out
1: yes so in the contract i allowed them to use the ones where you can just see my arm cuz they would be just holding a product But I removed photos where my face was in and photos of my kid. So that is, I'm glad that that was done beforehand. But yeah, nowadays when we sell things, we always put that into the contract. Like, What can happen after the site is sold? What can the new owner do? If there is a persona, what are they allowed to do with it? Are they allowed to put your name in future email newsletter blasts? Things like that. Like Every little detail has to be considered.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's some... Things you don't think about when you're just trying to get that first one off the ground. I know it was the same for some of my early sites. And now I have sort of a general persona that you, know, you can create for a site. Is that what you do as well for yours? Is, is there some picture and name attached?
1: Yeah, I do. I just create an alias for each site that I'm working on now. I'll use a stock image of a person. I'll just create a name. And as long as it's something that doesn't actually require a real human persona, then it's never been a problem. The only time I ran into an issue where it didn't feel right was I had purchased a mental health site from someone and she was fine with leaving her name and image on the site as if she was still running it. For me, I wouldn't want to do that just because it makes things a little bit trickier. And I didn't think about that exactly at the time. But what happened is when I was running it, and I was only running it for a few months before I then flipped that site. But during that time, people in her Facebook group would be messaging me and thinking that I was her. And they would be saying their very personal mental health struggles, expecting the previous owner to reply. So for me, there was a moral issue there just because, because of the niche, the mental health niche, it just didn't make sense to mislead anyone. So now whenever we are creating sites, we just take that into consideration. And if the seller really does want to keep her persona on a site, a great way to do that is just to allow her to have an author profile on the website, and then she could submit one guest post a month. So that way she's still part of the brand, but she's, she doesn't have to, be there for the day to day. And that, I think that's a really good way to manage that one.
0: That's a great compromise. Yeah. I would, I didn't think of that, but that's a good way to make it sort of right. And if someone looks at it externally, it, it makes sense too. Yeah. So um, I have a couple more questions on that, um, beauty site and then, then we'll move forward here. So do you happen to remember how many posts were on it, um, at the time that you sold it?
1: Yes, there wasn't too many. I think there was about 150 posts. Some of them were long form, uh, more educational based, and some were just really quick review posts. So we had a nice mix. Um, We would have ones where it's just showing the subscription box, telling you a little bit about it, and then a quick little review. And those actually did really well. Then we also had the more longer, interesting blog posts that answered more search intent and really focused on what people would be asking about general products. So not necessarily the brand name of a shampoo, but more so general questions about what are the bad ingredients in shampoo? What are cruelty-free brands that offer shampoo products? Or how do you swap out your shampoo for a cleaner product? Things like that. Things that really just answer general questions. And then once they came and they learned about it, at the end, we could suggest a few brands, which would of course be affiliate links.
0: Now I had 150 posts you sold it for about 50k via the auction it sounded uh, very exciting towards the end do you happen to remember the uh, like monthly multiple that you got for that site
1: yeah um i don't remember it off the top of my head but it was making about five thousand at the time um nowadays you know i will like most buyers i'll pay between 24x and 36x um, and that's how we price listings on our site as well. The thing is with the sites that are a little bit smaller, more of the starter sites, you'll see a higher multiple I find for sites that even aren't monetized. People will still pay more if the content is good. So that's really what I would be looking at nowadays.
0: Okay. Very good. Yeah. And I have seen, like you said, starter sites or done for you sites. Like the value is elsewhere. So they're priced in a way where it, it doesn't make sense if you're just applying like a monthly multiple. So, okay.
1: Yeah. It was, it was a really fun niche to work in is a lot of work, but I also think that there's still a lot of, uh, availability for people to get into sub niches in the beauty niches because there is so much awareness nowadays, about healthy products and animal testing and things like this that I think the younger generations are really caring about more than we've seen in the past. So I think if that's of interest to anyone listening, I know I said it was pretty easy to rank back then. I don't know what it's like now, but I really do believe that the interest is hotter than ever. So I think it would be a great niche for anyone to to look into.
0: So I think you typically buy your sites these days, right? You're not building it from scratch.
1: Yes. These days I'm a buyer and a flipper.
0: Okay. So (laughs) let's talk about this specific example that you, I guess it was a WordPress theme site. So kind of lay out the foundation. How did you find the site? What made it look attractive to you?
1: Yeah. So this was a site that the original owner had, she'd built it from scratch. She was a WordPress theme developer, uh, Genesis Themes. And she had reached out to me to see if I wanted to buy it. And I took a look at it and there were some red flags. There was definitely some things that stood out to me that I think it would be harder for me to find a buyer for because the site itself needed a lot of work. The themes themselves needed a lot of updates And I also noticed there was photos on the site that she didn't have um, a stock membership for. I couldn't get a straight answer, you know, where are these photos coming from? I don't think they were just stolen or taken from Google, but I couldn't figure out where they came from legitimately. So I knew it was going to be a project site. And I bought that site for $8,000. It was making about $500 a month um, at the time that I purchased it. And I really just looked at it as the content was really good. So the blog posts were quality and the traffic was good. She was ranking for some keywords for WordPress themes, which can be difficult. And so I like that. And the Pinterest traffic was really strong. I like that too. So whenever I'm looking for a site, I really like to see a nice balance between google traffic and pinterest traffic because i know if a site is ranking in pinterest search it's going to be sending traffic for years uh pinterest is such a great tool and it's really something that i always say don't overlook that if you're looking at a site to buy and it gets a lot of pinterest traffic that is not a bad thing there it doesn't take any work to maintain a pinterest account when you buy a site that comes with a great pinterest account that is sending all of that traffic that work has already been done so what you're seeing that's from pins that have been ranking maybe months or even years ago that are just still sending traffic so that was really attractive to me i love that so i bought the site and um so yeah she just reached out to me original question how did i find it she just reached out to me and asked And I worked on it right away. I was so excited. I jumped out of bed in the morning when the domain came through because it was like a fresh project. It needed so much work. So I really got to nerd out on that. And I just started by, first of all, going through the website itself. It was on Divi. I, you know, no hate to any Divi creators, but I do not like Divi themes at all. I find them so clunky. So that was my first thing I needed to update the site and considering it was a Genesis theme site, it should be using a Genesis theme, I would assume. So that was the first thing that I did. I went and I cleaned up the uh, all of the blog posts. I just made sure there was better interlinking. I made sure all the posts had meta descriptions and strong keywords were where they were supposed to be. And then once the site was cleaned up, looking good, I went and I actually just cleaned up each of the themes themselves. They needed updating. Some of the code was a little bit outdated. Some things were unnecessary. I could speed up the themes. So I just went through each one and I really just took my time to make sure that the sites look great. I closed out a few of them. Some of them were too similar to one another. And I didn't think it was worth it having so many themes in this marketplace, if any were too similar. So I just uh, sunsetted some of them. And then I created one new theme and I ran that site for, it was about six months until I felt it was time to, to flip it.
0: And I just want to restate what she mentioned. So it was making about 500 a month, but you bought it for (laughs) 8,000. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so what 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 am I missing here? That is a 16x multiple. Um, were there other expenses or that 500 is actually like profit bottom line?
1: Um so no, that is actually that was everything. That was all in. And we just came to a really great negotiation, really. She was at a point that she was ready to go. She didn't know what to do with the site anymore. And um she was just happy to have someone come and fix it up, I think. And so it definitely worked out well for me and she was happy in the end too.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. It's funny. Sometimes a good deal will land in your lap um, (laughs) without you even really looking for it. Okay. And then how how much did you sell it for?
1: So I sold that one for $26,000. And I sold that one six months later and the creator who bought it, it's pretty cool because she's done so much with it now. Like the site looks great. She really picked up where I had got it to and just, she ran, she ran with it and she's doing great.
0: Here's a quick word from our sponsor. Otis Global, that's O-D-Y-S, and Otis is the source, my source, for age domains with strong branding and powerful backlinks. The featured domain for today is studentprogress.org. Studentprogress.org was an education and exam-based site focused on the U.S. market. It previously had a lot of different educational resources, including online training, student progress monitoring, and various resources related to that, forums, newsletters, tools, and professional, 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 we're talking professional here development information delivered by the National Center on Student Progress Monitoring. It was created back in 2003. It's 18 years old. It has a domain rating of 42 and a domain authority of 36. There's a lot of different things you can do with this domain. I'm going to tell you a couple uh, quick things. Uh, Number one, education stuff is kind of a slam dunk, right? In this case, it was providing educational resources, and I think it's a great opportunity for a few things. Number one, you can provide informational content, especially in the homeschooling area, which I think has grown um, a little bit more with quarantining and uh, COVID and all that stuff. So I think you could provide helpful information for people that need it, and maybe they don't have a ton of resources, but you could Have display ads. The biggest opportunity, of course, is being an affiliate or at least referring traffic to services, maybe their test prep services, maybe their online courses, maybe their tests that you could take like practice tests, something like that, or their actual tutors, which could help people out online virtually, or it could be in-person tutors. So there's a lot of different ways you can monetize as far as uh, helping people prepare to take these different tests. Additionally, you could have uh, some other, I guess like online courses that you offered yourself. That would of course be a lot more work, but far more profitable. So I would probably just become an affiliate in general. The other thing you could do Is be an affiliate for physical products, which is kind of the obvious thing. That's what we always talk about, right? So you could have reviews for things that people in schools or educational environments need. Those could be expensive electronics like laptops and tablets, or it could just be just regular old uh, pencils and pens and random stuff that a person might need book bags. Those could be good trapper keepers. Anybody have trapper keepers out there? I had some of those and it was fun to get new ones each year, but I don't know if those are as exciting for kids these days. So you have a ton of options for monetization. I want to give you a couple quick metrics and I kind of, I dove in a little bit deep with hrefs here. So there are 303 referring domains. They are niche relevant. 273 of those are do follow. There's uh, thousands of links total, but the referring domains are 303 and 273 for do follow, respectively. Most of them are pretty awesome links. Like I said, they're niche relevant. I took a little peek. There are five.gov links, there are nine edu links, which is Pretty amazing. And some of those are ca.gov, ed.gov, uh, some edu that I don't know what that is. What is that? University of Minnesota, maybe, Virginia.gov, New Jersey.us, New Jersey.gov, and so on. There's some pretty amazing links going to the site. There's a ton of history spanning back from the very end of 2003 on the way back machine. It has some ups and downs, but you can go through and find a lot of history. One cool thing with Otis is they do give you a logo and they say that uh, it comes with a logo and they will push the domain to your account in less than 24 hours. So it's pretty epic, epic, epic if I can talk here. And if you join using my affiliate link, you can get $100 in your account. I get a commission, so I appreciate any support you have. It's worth it to take a look. One cool thing is there's a huge range of prices. The site that I outlined, the domain that I told you about today is a pretty expensive. It's coming in at $9,910, studentprogress.org. But there are many Different domains, some of which are under one thousand dollars. Some are—I think I saw a couple that were like six hundred or so. I can't quite remember, but there's a huge range. And the point is, if you're looking to start a site in a specific niche, it could be a great way to jumpstart your progress. Or if you have a site and you're looking to redirect an existing domain, which—I mean, this is a whole other conversation—but that is simply a normal thing that can happen, right? It's not a bad thing. If you acquire another business, you would consolidate things in acquiring a domain is sort of like acquiring a business and you can consolidate that with your other website. So it's a great way to jumpstart your uh, backlink profile if you don't have an easy way to do it, which I mean, this particular domain is 18 years old. There's really no other way to recreate those kinds of links. So thanks to Otis Global, really appreciate it. Let's send it back to the episode. So running a WordPress theme in a software company, basically, doesn't sound like much fun to me. So,
1: it's not. <laughs> how,
0: how did it? How did it go? Because I mean, we we usually spend our time with content, keyword income. research, some outreach. This is a whole other area of yeah. just running software that's different. So, how, how did you come into it, and how did you figure out what you needed to even work on?
1: Yes. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, you're so right. And that's the thing, too, with me. I prefer to work on content sites. I prefer sites that earn from passive revenue sources, whereas themes, they it's a digital product, sure, but it's not a passive business because there is so much back and forth, so many customer-client emails people that don't understand how to install a theme even though this business had a really great help docs section and tutorials and that was you know really user friendly you're still going to get emails from people who just don't understand how to set up their site how to import the the sample files you know if they've never used a genesis theme before it is a little bit different than most themes they may be used to so you're going to get a lot of customer emails and that was really daunting for me because here I am I'm just focusing on uh, improving the tech and focusing on the creative things and the monetization side the things that I love customer service running that for a digital product business is not where my passion was you know it was tough it really was especially when people would uh, just have so many questions and I'm always happy to chat with people and help them but it you really do need to have a whole team working on a site if you are running a theme business because just being able to provide world-class customer service is really important and you really can't be doing it all yourself. So that was one thing that was really tough. And that was something that when I sold it, I was so happy because I could just relieve myself of all of the uh, customer tickets and you know I could just, oh, that was a good feeling.
0: Did you hire developers to help you out or were you doing all this on your own here?
1: I did that one all on my own. Yeah, so I do have a team now, but for this project, uh, this theme site that we're talking about, it was just me at the time and I was just creating everything and working on it um, just on a day-to-day on my own.
0: That sounds terrible. That sounds (laughs) terrible.
1: Uh, (laughs) You know, it had its perks though too. (laughs) Did you?
0: I'm just imagining like I have a computer engineering degree, like I've done coding and stuff before and I've never done any like WordPress coding. I've I've done oh, really? some minor editing. So uh, kudos to you for like digging in and actually doing all of that. I couldn't imagine that sounds absolutely, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm making this dramatic, but you actually live through it, right? I mean, that's true, right? It's pretty rough. And I'll just give a quick example to pick on myself. I've been opening tickets with uh, my podcast hosting company for some other thing. I've been having so many troubles with like uh Apple podcast and my episodes showing up. So I've opened mm-hmm. probably like three or four tickets. I don't think they were my fault specifically, but basically they were, they were all resolved by the time the support team looked at it. So an episode oh. wouldn't show up on Apple and then it would show up sometime later. Now, Am I the idiot that screwed something up and then I fixed it later? But I'm opening all these tickets. Anyway, the point is sometimes you even have uh, somewhat competent people like myself open tickets and just waste your time. So did you have any particular instances where someone asked for support and it was just a a funny mistake or any nightmare tickets that you had to service?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I would never want to call anyone out because honestly, if you've never... Install a theme before. There's no wrong question. It's tough, you know. It's it's tough thing to do if you've never done it before. So I certainly wouldn't say anyone was a nightmare, (laughs) but um, you know, like the actual coding part, going in and editing the themes, I really did enjoy that. And we offered a theme setup service, so it was just sort of to help people so that they could skip that step for themselves. You buy the theme add on a price, and I will actually go and just set up your theme for you. It'll take me only 10 minutes. It's not a big deal. So I was running that and it was a nice other monetization revenue stream that was coming into the business. And it was going, everything was going great. Usually people were really happy. There was really only one person and she she got the, the theme set up. I got it all set up for her. I sent it to her. She could go. And then when she got in, she just completely changed her mind. She didn't like anything. She was very upset. She couldn't understand how to do anything. So I provided some additional support. Well, days and days and hours and hours later, I realized I am basically just being taken advantage of. She is not going to let up. She's never going to be happy. And she's really taking as much time from me as she possibly thinks she can. So I really had to realize and set some boundaries that Providing a service like that, you really have to set it ahead of time what is expected, what you're doing, and what the service does not include. So how much back and forth will you actually be providing? It really has to be clear from the get-go because there are some people out there who will just think that you are just at their beckoning call and you're just going to do everything forever. So yeah, how setting clear guidelines will just help you in any sort of service-based business like that.
0: Very good. Very good. Sorry. I started coughing earlier. Everything's fine.
1: No just right? a little
0: water. Yeah. Not COVID, <laughs> anything like that. Okay. Well, so yes. you bought it for 8,000 and then you sold it for 26,000 six months later. Yes. Did you adjust um, the pricing or any sort of the offering? I know you you removed one of the themes, you launched mm-hmm. another one and yeah, I'm just curious about some of the offering and what tweaks you made there.
1: I did. So when I took over, I increased after I had actually fixed up the themes and made them better. And I created new landing pages for all of the themes. I increased the prices by $20 each. And then I added the theme setup service. And I also created some downloadable lead magnets, as well as one paid lead magnet as well. And it was really just to get um, more people interested in thinking about changing their theme. That was really where I was coming from just to show people, hey, is your theme kind of boring you? Come and get a new one. We have all of these amazing themes. So we were really able to reach out to bloggers that way. And the other thing that I did was I improved the affiliate team. So she did have an affiliate program set up. It was just underutilized. And there was really only two people who were actively sharing their links in the program. And it was on an older... Platform. So when I took it over, I moved the affiliate team over to Thrivecart and just improved the communication with the affiliate team there. I reached out to my affiliate team at her paper route and I let them know that I have this theme business if they're interested in joining the program there and really just a little bit of time into promoting the affiliate team. And then what I did is once I, about two months in, I decided to have a promotion and I got the affiliate team involved in that. So they could share a link for uh, their audience to get 40% off the theme, uh, all of the themes. And I did it when I had released my new theme that I built. So it was a nice way to promote the new theme and also generate some new traffic, new customers and re-engage the affiliate team as well.
0: Awesome, so after you made those tweaks, do you happen to know what the monthly profits were at that point?
1: Yeah, so we doubled the profits. They were making about $1,200 a month, So for those months that I was running it. um, So I had it for six months. And after the first month, it bumped up to a thousand. And then it increased and increased. And at the six-month point, it had made $2,000 that month. And I thought, okay, well, it's a good trajectory. This is a good time to put it up for sale.
0: A lot of people may be nervous that they're selling too soon, but you mentioned a couple of times now you've had a nice trajectory and you thought immediately, Hey, I'm going to sell this knowing that probably in six months in the future, you would look and you would see the sites making a lot more. So what gives you the confidence to sell early on the upward trajectory that basically giving the, the buyer a good deal?
1: Yes. Well, that's important to me. There really is. And there's two sides of that. One is that I don't want to be running that business forever. I really enjoy the development side. I enjoy the promotion side fixing something up like a fixer upper. And then on the other side of that, I really do want to create Awesome turnkey businesses for people. So when they come in and they acquire it, it's running. It's running whether they're going to do anything or not. And if they do do something, it's going to run even better. So that's really where I come from from any project that I'm working on. I get excited about seeing that revenue coming in and knowing that the fixes that i've done thus far are working because i know if sites start ranking more traffic's coming in from google more then i know that a few months down the road it's going to be better so i like to sell it at that time for me i'm not uh, i'm not looking to hold a large portfolio of sites that doesn't excite me although sure passive income is great you have a whole bunch of sites that are generating like ad revenue that's awesome Um, But for me, when I wake up, I don't want to think, oh my God, I have 10 sites that I have to work on today. I want to think this is my project site for this season that I'm working on and I'm going to be able to, to just flip it, develop it and potentially get three times what I paid for it or maybe even more. And for me, that's what keeps me interested in the projects. I feel like if I was just running the same blog forever and ever, I would get tired of it. And then by that time, what if I had lost interest and I let things slip and it hadn't been updated recently, then it's in a worse place to sell. So I would just rather sell it when it's on the up because that's the best place for a, for a buyer to be able to run with it after that.
0: It makes a lot of sense too, since you have blogsforsale.co, you want to mm-hmm. have good relationships with people that want to buy sites. And I've heard that again mm-hmm. and again, where you know people that are sort of in our industry, they'll they'll sort of sell good deals because they know you've done this a couple of times, right, Chelsea? So you know you can Have another opportunity, you probably have too many opportunities popping up all the time. So, yeah, (laughs) I get
1: that. That's true. And you, you know, you're putting your name out there. And this industry, like the blog flipping and niche website investing community, it's small. So, you don't want to do anything that would make you or your business look bad. You really want to be putting out quality content, whether you're intending to run the site yourself or intending to sell it to someone else. You don't ever want to create something that's someone's going to buy, realize they bought a lemon and then they're going to think horrible of you. They're never going to want to work with you again. So if you just come from it, from a place of truly wanting to put out great sites, then you really will. And you don't have to risk ruining your reputation, so to speak.
0: We focused a lot on the sort of the tech side and some of the support. I went off on a weird tangent, but (laughs) did you, Did you add much content or do uh, other promotion in the terms of like link building and improving rankings? Did you spend any time in those areas?
1: I didn't spend as much time as I usually would on a purely content-based site. For the Genesis theme site, most of my time really was just spent on improving the content that was there. So, uh, I mentioned the tutorials that were on the site for how to actually set up and use the themes. I gave those a really great overhaul, and you know, new screenshots, and just made sure everything was up to date. As I said, all be on, it had all been on Divi, so everything had to, to change, and every little block and everything had to be updated. So that's really where my time was mostly spent. But I did do some of that manual promotion where I'm going and pinning the content to Pinterest and going into Facebook groups and sharing the blog posts and the theme sales pages there with the blogging communities and really just like I said, engaging the affiliate team, they were helping to send traffic to the site. But the actual link building, I didn't do too much actual link building off page. I mean, a little bit going into Quora, but from uh, getting links from other sites, not so much. I was really just focused on the content and uh, manual pinning and the affiliate team for for that.
0: Did you find anything particularly effective that your affiliate team was doing or that you provided to the team so that they could be more effective?
1: Well, something that I always find for running any affiliate team is if you can provide swipe files, just make it so easy for your team so they don't have to even think about it. You just, If you're having a promotion, you create those swipe files with everything written out. All of the dates are in there. You can even include some stories in there just so that they can literally take it, swipe it and send it out and they don't even have to think about it if they don't want to. Of course, they can add their own things to it or use their own, but just providing them with those resources, the more you can make it easier for your team, the more they'll be willing to promote. And That includes having some great graphics that they can use, offering uh, special codes, so uh, vanity codes where they could actually have their name in the coupon code that their audience can use, creating their own landing page. That's another great one. If you can create a landing page for maybe your top affiliates and let them know this is a page that you can send your audience to, it's tracked to your cookie and it's got your picture on it, you know, it just gives them that personal. Uh, connection to your sale or to your business, that can really go a really far way. So I did that with this business. It's something that I do in my, my Her Paper route company for our courses, for our affiliate team there. And that's always just really helped with um, boosting the morale as well as boosting the sales.
0: Were there any assumptions that you had when you got the site, started working on it that turned out to not be correct?
1: She was very forthcoming and everything. So I, I was able to see the analytics, the Google search console. So for all of those things, I was really able to verify that what she had claimed was truthful. So that was all good. There was no surprises there. But There was definitely some surprises in the actual code of the themes because I hadn't gone in and looked at that before purchasing it. I had an idea that they needed updating, but just how much you don't really know that until you actually go in and you see what's going on in the code. So that was something, but I don't think I really could have vetted that as well. had I not just jumped into it. And I, I don't think that was a bad thing. I think it was a good experience overall. But yeah, overall, she was really honest. And there was no surprises that were bad.
0: Okay, that's good. That's good. <laughs> kind of surprising. What issues with the code? Was it just a little sloppy or not what you expected in some manner?
1: Yeah, there was just some outdated things. There were some unnecessary um, plugins that the code was calling to that didn't actually need to be included in the package, things like that. Um, there were some things with the actual color customizer that weren't populating the right color, so that was an easy fix. And just sort of things that were a little bit clunky on some of the themes that just didn't need to, to be in the places where they were showing. And then I was also able to go in and create um, better widget. So I would go in and I would create an affiliate widget that would show up in every, in the, every blog post. So like three, uh, three sentences down, there'd be a little block where you could have your affiliate disclaimer and you just put it in once and it would show up in every blog post. So putting that into the themes was really helpful for people. So they didn't have to have a third party plugin or something that would call or just add that to it. Cause it's important. We all need that affiliate disclaimer in our blog content. So it's just really easy if it's already built into the theme. So just little things like that, that I was able to go in and do and just make it um, a better experience for the new users of those themes.
0: So before we move on to some other topics here, is there anything else with this particular WordPress theme site that is interesting that I didn't ask you about or some particular quirk that was kind of cool?
1: Um, you know, it was kind of cool how the I I had sort of mentioned this before that I really connected with the content itself. She had written some great content. And when I went in and started looking through things. There had been no interlinking at all, so every blog post really was like a standalone page, which we don't we don't want. So that was another sort of like time-consuming thing that I had to go and sit through. I would think that if anyone is doing their due diligence when you're looking at sites that you're thinking of buying, really take a look at the actual blog posts themselves. Sure, the content is great, that's really important, but just are they actually linking to each other? are the images do they all have alt tags like just little things like that that you know it's going to be time consuming but if you're looking for a project site these are really great fixes that you can go in and do if you do have that time and these are also things that you may be able to bring into your negotiation to actually bring the price down because like I said I had got a pretty good deal for what I paid for the site and because there was a lot of work that needed to do. So when you're doing your due diligence, just be aware of maybe some of the things that you can bring up to your seller and possibly um, get yourself a little bit of a cut on the deal of the, the price you're paying too.
0: Good points. Very good points. All right. Would you get another software uh, related site or a WordPress theme site?
1: I think I would. I think I would. I definitely haven't been scared off from it. I'm always looking for uh, SaaS companies and I'm certainly open to theme businesses as well. So I wouldn't say no way. And I hope I didn't scare anyone off either (laughs) from considering it.
0: I think it could be perfect for someone that wants to get into software. I mean, the business model can be so lucrative if you understand some of the constraints as well. Like anything, I mean, there's pros and cons.
1: Definitely, yeah.
0: So when you're looking to buy a content site, so we'll, we'll kind of move away from the software and SaaS idea, just a content site, where do you typically go to uh, shop around or, or purchase? I mean, obviously you you have a, a, you're a broker yourself, so you probably see some more deals rolling in, but mm-hmm. where were you going before you had it? And then I'm just curious, what do you look for as far as like traffic or price range or some kind of the sweet spot of a site that you're interested in?
1: Yeah. So before I had my own brokerage, I would just go actually into Facebook groups and I would see what people are posting. If there were bloggers sharing their links to their websites, I would go and I'd take a look. And if I like the site, I would just straight up make a cold offer to them and say, hey, would you consider selling your site? And sometimes people said yes, and sometimes people said no, and that's okay, you you know, you just have to ask and find out. So that was a great way um, that I would just go out and essentially shop for sites. And then also looking on marketplaces, Empire Flippers, Flippa, of course, just seeing what's out there. I bought a few sites that way. But nowadays, I, I really don't. Nowadays, the cool thing is that sellers just come to me and they just come through my site and I'm able to um, give valuations. And if it's a site that I would be interested in buying, I'll just make them an offer right away. Um, so that's really good. I, I sort of have a, a stream of sites coming through. Uh, every day so i can really just pick and choose what i want to work on and if it's not right for me then we'll just put it up for sale in the marketplace and i'll help them find the right buyer um but yeah that's really been it lately um i still am always looking at other marketplaces i haven't bought anything recently um i'm working on a couple sites and hopefully we'll just sell it before the the year's end um yeah what was the second half of your question doug
0: I don't remember. I forget. So we'll we'll just uh, seamlessly transition into the next one. So okay. is there a price range that's sort oh, of yeah. one where you know you could take it from you know point A and grow it from there?
1: Yeah. So with price range, I don't really look at that so much. I look at the traffic, and I look at some gaps. So what is missing? If I see a site and it has some great Google traffic, but it hasn't nothing from Pinterest. To me, that is a great opportunity because I know I can start pinning and I can start driving traffic from Pinterest to just add to the Google traffic that's already coming in. So that's always attractive to me. And it really just depends um, for that, with also the monetization, what sort of revenue is coming in right now? If a site is earning from ad revenue, affiliate links, and its own digital products, those are the three things I really like to look for. If the site has its own online course, that adds as, uh, that adds value for me as well. I like sites that have um, their own products as well as affiliate. And I've bought a few sites recently where they focus on selling their own online courses as well. And I, I feel that there's a lot of value in that because it really just creates a brand around the business. So it's not just a standalone website. But there's actually a lot of content and uh, behind a paywall type of content where you can actually have students and people sign up. And it's a great list builder as well. So that's something I like to look for. Um, but the actual budget... I'll, if a site is ticking all the boxes and it has a lot of great traffic coming in and it's already profitable, I'm happy to pay between 24 to 36X. And I'm also willing to pay more than that multiple if the site is underdeveloped and I can just sort of see where I might be able to to take it and improve it. But really, that's, that's pretty much the sweet spot for me um, and the things that I look for.
0: And do you care what niche it's in, or you're kind of just looking at it from a business standpoint and the numbers.
1: I really, I actually do care about the actual niche. And for me, I tend to just buy the sites that are in (laughs) niches that I understand and that I have some experience in because I know that it has to be something that I'm going to want to write about for a while and I have to understand the products and the the business behind it. So that's important to me, but I'm not totally closed off from buying a site that is a totally new experience because there's nothing wrong if you have the time to research and find out about something. I think even if you have a glimmer of interest in something, why not try it out. And that's the cool thing about website investing is you can try things and you can learn things. And if you don't like it, just sell it and move on to the next, you know, you don't have to marry the site that you buy and work on it forever. So that's something that I really like, um, that I really like about the business.
0: How do you approach negotiating? Like you said, you're happy to pay, you know, sort of market price, 24 to Mm 36 X, which is great two to three years, but you know, when you, come to the, when you come to the table, how do you approach it? And first, let's look at it as a uh, buyer, for example, and then we'll flip it over and you could talk about when you're selling a site. So when you're buying, how do you approach the negotiation?
1: I usually approach it where I will just make an offer. I will make it and I will say, this is my final offer. This is what I'm interested in paying. Are you down to play? And if they are great, if they're not, that's fine. There's rarely been a time where I found a site where I've tried to haggle because I do know the value of the site and I know all of that work that they've put into it. I, as a blogger myself, I value that. So unless the site is like needs so much work and I'm thinking it's going to take me months to get it to where I need it to be, usually just coming forward and saying, this is my offer that's really been the best way for me. Um, when it actually comes to negotiation, they want to go back and forth. That happens. I don't mind that. But if we just right from the get-go say, this is the offer and um, you know I'm not, I'm not actually going to be negotiating, usually that's a, a pretty fair way to, to go into a deal too.
0: Okay. Then as a seller, yeah, so mm-hmm. we did buyer before. So as a seller, mm-hmm. how do you approach it?
1: Well, the cool thing lately, the last couple sites that I've sold, and I've been selling them just in my own marketplace, is the last few ones of my own that I've sold, people have made full price offer. And this has happened about four times in the last few months for the sites that I've recently been selling. So there hasn't even been a need for negotiation. And that to me, I think is a bit rare. I don't think that that's the norm because... For other sites that we're selling for other people on the site, there's a lot of negotiation and and of course there's always room for negotiation, but there seems to be a lot more questions and I don't know if it's just because people know me from her paper route or they've been following my different projects in the past, but I feel like there hasn't been as much negotiation for my own sites. So, I would like to practice more because it's actually been about a year since I've had a good negotiation of my own, not just representing someone else as their broker.
0: So, for people that want to get started flipping sites, what advice would you give them?
1: I would say just jump into it. Honestly, there is so much to learn and you can learn it as you go. I feel if it's your first time buying a site, I know it's going to feel scary and you're going to feel like, It's overwhelming and there's so many things you need to do. And there is, but it's really not overwhelming. You can learn as you go. So purchase a site that is in a niche that you have some sort of experience with or you're interested in and just focus on that for your first one and use it as a training ground to really just learn and be open to what you can do with it. Because it really is just a creative project and uh, an educational project for yourself.
0: So I almost forgot because your stories are flowing together very well here. It sounds like you don't make any mistakes. So do Not you have too. any mistakes to no. uh, to share along the way that could be big or, or small? And I know I have so many of them, I make <laughs> mistakes uh, weekly still, they're just bigger mistakes now. So Chelsea, can you share? <laughs>
1: Yeah. And you know, that's a good thing though, because the more mistakes you're making, it means the more opportunities you have to actually learn and get better. So I really don't think that there's anything that you can really do to tank yourself as long as you are coming at your business with integrity and you're not trying to hurt anyone or create crappy content. If you're coming from a place of you're just trying to learn and figure it out, then mistakes are good. So keep it coming. But for me, yeah, when I started it's actually the, the beauty blog that I was focusing on as my first monetized blog. I didn't know about duplicate content on your own site, and I actually don't know why, but I created my tools and resources page as a page as well as a blog post on the same domain. That is a big no-no. I didn't know it for too long. And I think it was a few months and I was like, why can't I get this page to rank? It's so great. It's so, there's so much content. There's so much resources. There's backlinks coming to it. Oh, oh, because there's two of the exact same pages on my website. So when I figured that out and I went back to the drawing board, because at the same time, I did know about SEO. I obviously didn't know a whole ton at the time, but I did know the foundations of SEO. So I don't know how I didn't, or I don't know how I missed that very crucial thing. So yeah, getting rid of any duplicate content, that was a big one. And I mean, other things that have been mistakes over the years, really, it just comes down to, I think, going too fast and missing things. So that's been something that has been something I've been working on now is to really just slow down pay attention to everything, accept that things take time and enjoy the process, and it's not a race. It really is if you can actually just take time and slow down and put out that quality content and proofread. (laughs) It's just going to be so much better in the end, and you're just going to put out a way better product. So that's something that I am working on and getting better at over the years.
0: Very cool. I want to highlight a couple quick things. So you roughly got started monetizing your blogs in 2017, right?
1: Yeah, it wasn't very long ago when you think back.
0: Not long at all. I was going to say it's 2021 now. So four years, you now run a broker ship. Is that what we call Mm -hmm. it? A brokerage? A brokerage. You have at least like five sites that you kind of are working on. You don't want to have too mm-hmm. many and you have a, a full, you know, personal brand around it, which is amazing. I just, you know, out of a uh, kind of a hobby blog and you thought, oh, I'm going to try to earn some money <laughs> and look at where you're at. It's absolutely amazing. So you don't have it's to comment cool. on that, but if you have anything, you feel free.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty fun. It, when you look back and you think 2017 was not that long ago, it's crazy. Um, yeah, it's wild, but it's been such a great ride and such a great learning experience. And the cool thing is, in the last year, people who have been selling at the marketplace, we put over a million dollars in the pockets of content creators who sold their sites on the platform. And this is in the pandemic. This is when. People are realizing that their job, and their employment is just really risky. You could lose your job at any time. Your company can say, we don't have the money to keep you employed. This is a big thing that we learned last year with so many people working in service-based businesses. And so knowing that they can actually create and sell their own online business and their own online blog And for profit, it's such an awesome thing. So that's really been the most exciting thing for me is that I get to be a facilitator of that.
0: Awesome. And it (laughs) sounds like you have a little bit of a team now, which we won't go too deep, but I'm just curious, how big is your team currently right now?
1: Yes, I do. I have three people on my team and they are awesome. They all came on in 2021. And uh, yeah, it's just been great having new freedoms for myself and just being able to focus more on the actual creative side of the business rather than the day-to-day side just knowing that my team really takes care of my inbox and takes care of uh, customer feedback and like so many things that I was doing in the business now I can just work on the business and uh, be able to create better stuff because I'm not you know I'm not mm-hmm. doing the day-to-day stuff anymore
0: well maybe we can get you back on uh on the show again for round two and talk about the team and just growing and all that sort of thing. So, well, Chelsea, this is awesome. And it was great catching up with you. Where can people find you?
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. This has actually been on my bucket list. I've always wanted to be on your show. So thank you. Thank you for answering my email. (laughs) Uh And uh, yeah, so Guys, you can find me at herpaperoot.com. That is sort of a blanket of my business where you can find my podcast and my courses and the online brokerage where you can see what sites we have for sale. We always have new listings coming out every week and it's pretty cool. You can actually just go in and you can see and look at what sites are there. You can look at the analytics where they're earning money it's also just if even if you're not thinking about buying it's just a great place to go and look uh, for education to see what's out there on the market um and yeah i guess the last thing i should mention is doug is featured in my upcoming summit called the niche investor retreat that's coming up in august and i'm sure we'll put a link in the show notes for that um but yeah i'm happy to have doug as a guest and that's going to be a lot of fun
0: awesome thanks chelsea
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks a lot to Chelsea and be sure to check out her stuff over at her paper route and blogsforsale.co. I was perusing the marketplace over there at Blogs for Sale, and there's a wide variety. There's actually quite a few sites listed. So it's pretty impressive overall. I kind of highlighted that in the interview, how quickly Chelsea was able to figure things out, take action, and then go bigger and do different things. I mean, this is sort of a advanced set of topics where she's created a a brokerage. That's what we call them. I can't remember what I said in the interview, but I think I used the wrong word. Anyway, she has a brokerage. And if you're looking to buy or sell sites, blogsforsale.co is a great place to go check it out. So you can have a look at some of the listings and see what's out there. And You know what? I could ramble on for a while, but I'm going to leave it at that. So thanks again to Chelsea and we'll catch you on the next episode.